now the podcast starts. Hello, dear listener, and welcome to a show in which we talk about horror. Sometimes we talk about other things, and sometimes we swear. My wonderful co-host today is... It's Stella. I'm back from uh, the dead, uh, <laughs> just from a summer away. <laughs> wow. Well, well. Yeah. I mean, you know... Um, to, you never know. To, yeah. to, the, to, to the wonderful uh, listener, unless the listener is a Patreon supporter, um, we've all been away all summer, so you yeah. know, we're, just, <laughs> we're just coming back in drips and drops. And by the way, listener, I am TD Velasquez, but as always, you can call me Dan. Uh, today, it's going to be the second of our pre-Grimfest uh, preview episodes. Myself and Stella are here to introduce uh, the interviews which I was able to do with the people people behind two of the movies um so we'll get on to that in a bit but let's catch up first stella it's been so long since we've chatted it's, yes i can see you but the listener can't but it's very good to see you you too hello <laughs> i think you've had well you've been very busy and you've got cool news i think yeah I've, i have been very busy it's um it's been good actually to be so busy just because I don't, it's, it's, I'm sure lots of people will agree I think it's better for my mental health when I'm busy I like doing stuff um, but yeah I did complete my book, I got it finished I got it in um, and I would like to add, I got it in and submitted four weeks before the final deadline <laughs> Right, brilliant. I did so, think well, because I, I'm sure you, you sent us a message saying I think I'm going to be busy till at least mid-October with this book and it seemed like mm. about three days and then I got a message from you saying finish the book. <laughs> so, Finished! <laughs> yeah, I, I, was, so I was thinking right, because I had um, so started uh, teaching a new module at the university, a horror media module, so I was like right I need to write that as well and I wanted to have the first five or six weeks of that module of all those lectures written before the start of, of the semester so to give myself time for that I needed to finish the book so I was just like right come on head down so I just yeah just really really worked really hard all through the summer to get the book finished leaving me time to write the horror media module and um so yeah so now the book is with the reviewers um I got an email from the publishers from Palgrave Macmillan or was it last week one day last week saying it's with the reviewers and I just have to wait to see what they say now. Hopefully it won't be too brutal. Right. <laughs> There's usually something that comes back. There'll be some suggestions and changes or I don't know, maybe they'll say I need to cut it down a little bit, who knows, but as long as it, they don't send it all back saying, yeah, this is uh, horseshit, start again. <laughs> <laughs> then I think it'll be all right. You know, I don't mind making changes, but I'm just... Yeah, it feels like... Um, it's the same feeling as when I handed in my PhD or, you know, when you hand in an essay and you're waiting for you to get your marks back. <laughs> it just feels like that again. Yes, so, relief, yeah. relief mixed with a bit of trepidation or even dread. <laughs> yeah, the, the dread of the next bit to see what happens. And I mean, and once I do get it back, depending on what I have to do and what the turnaround is on, on, on what they want me to do, I don't really know how long the final process is going to take because it will have to get put together and then I'll have to proofread it and check it and need to, I've filled in all the forms for the back material like the blurb on the back and stuff I need to pick the front cover I've already done that actually <laughs> I got bored one day so I picked the front cover uh, and then yeah I don't know how long all that takes the printing and, and stuff so right. but I have heard 
from other colleagues that um, Palgrave are pretty speedy. So I'm hoping it won't take too long. Okay. And then you can all not buy it because it's really expensive. <laughs> <laughs> well, at the very least, you know, you can you can talk about it so that uh, the, the academics among us can get it ordered into their respective yeah. libraries. So. For libraries and colleges and stuff, then absolutely. But anybody listening, don't buy it. It'll be really expensive. <laughs> what have you been doing? That's oh, what I've been dear. doing. I've been staring at this laptop and frantically typing. What have you been doing? Uh, well, um... Uh, I mean, in a way, it's not too long a story, as as I indicated in, in uh, my introduction to the last episode. Mm-hmm. I've been very busy looking after my mum. I'm mm-hmm. pleased to say she's a lot better now, but life remains Yay. kind of more complicated than it was before. Um, so I'm still trying to kind of balance that. And as of today, I, I've just been poorly. Um, Stella knows this. She, Even if I hadn't already told her, I'm sure you could tell from, from the way that I'm dressed. That I've, I've, <laughs> That's a dressing gown, isn't it? That is a dressing gown, absolutely. <laughs> I've, I've not had the most productive day. Um, so I'm just kind of tentatively learning how to try and uh, integrate doing other things in with looking after mum. Mm. Uh, and the first thing was to to start doing the podcast again. So, um, yeah. And we should mention on that note that uh, Kirsty, bless her, was supposed to be here today, but uh, she's ended up being a little bit ill as well. So mm. th- there's a theme going on. Um, um, <laughs> I'll just quickly mention Ian and Howard, um, just to say they'll be returning to the podcast in weeks in either recorded form or, or live but uh, I don't feel that I, I have the right to talk about what they've been going through exactly on, on this podcast I'm sure they will if they want to at a later point but I would say yeah. that if anybody's hearing this knows either Ian or Howard and has maybe lost touch with them and hasn't been on Facebook or whatever give them a shout because yeah. um, they're both going through some some family uh, dark times at the moment um, and uh, yes yeah, so, so that's kind of been the poll that's that's been over the last few weeks really um, uh, it's just been at my end it's just been a lot of family um, slightly slightly stressy stuff that's mostly come good in the end um, yeah and uh, yeah, I know that Ian and Howard have, have been having similar times as well. Mm. So, uh, yes, and, and in fact, because of this, everything that I aimed to do over the last sort of month or so just got scrubbed. So there was a weekend that I'd set aside specifically to write a story, short story that was going to go in a Children in Need fundraising anthology. Oh, cool. Uh, but that was the weekend when my mum first got ill. So I right. just didn't have time to do any writing at all, and I just contacted the the publishers straight away and said, "Look, I'm not going to be able to do it." Um, even though the the deadline has not actually passed yet, but I can't mm. I can't see myself getting suddenly motivated to to write a whole story. Um, you know, I just get bits of bits and bobs of time each day. So that's fair enough. You got to put other things come first sometimes, don't they? Uh, yes. I know. Yeah. Um, I think every, everybody understands, you know, family comes first and all that, yeah, which is absolutely. why, um, you know, we've done far fewer of these Grimfest interviews than we did last year because mm. uh, Ian and I just haven't really been in, in a position to to do much about, about it, to, to, to take on as many as we would have done. 
but we, we've yeah. done a few. Um, yeah. And we're trying to do our bit to support the Great Festival, which, you know, you and I <laughs> would have been at uh, um, yeah. in normal times. Um, hopefully next year. Because um, uh, I'm even if I mean, even if my mum hadn't been ill and I didn't have these issues, I still might be avoiding Manchester at this point. Um, yeah, I have. I was s- mulling that over as well. I think I still. I've been in. I've been into Manchester a few times. Mm. Um, I mean, maybe twice. I think um, in the last few months. But I've. I don't think I'd be up for sitting in a cinema just yet. Yeah. Particularly not grim, grim because it's it's always jam packed, isn't it? Yeah, and yeah. I just wonder, like, how how would they manage that? And I'm not. I mean, you know, I'm double vexed, but I'm not. I don't think I'm there yet in sitting and. Um, crowded spaces no. unless i absolutely have to like you know getting on the tram or whatever but yeah i think i'd still be a bit, uh, bit iffy about it no i know what you mean i've been to the cinema three times i think um yeah. but i've always been at quiet times yeah and uh and it's gone quite well i did go and see the new candy mountain which i'm desperate to oh, talk right. to someone about who's seen it um well, i've not seen it I've yet not, I've, I, don't, I, haven't seen it. I don't know anyone who, who has seen it um but uh yeah that was like a, a nearly empty um, screen one night and i went mm. in and sat down and then like three people just came in the cinema and came and sat right next to me <laughs> what and, are you doing <laughs> and, and, uh, so i just I'd say i'm sorry it's nothing personal but i'm just going to move away okay because <laughs> i'm a carer and i can't take a risk so and i just kind of watched down one seat but um yeah, it's that's not, weird. I, I, they didn't strike me as the kind of people who who were like um, strictly sticking to the seats they booked. I'm sure they could have chosen anywhere else in that big screen, but they came and sat maybe, right next to me. Maybe they anticipated being frightened at the film, and they wanted to sit next to you for protection. Ah, that must be it, Stella. Yes. Uh, you're absolutely <laughs> right. Um, well, um, in that sense, they were they were quite great because I wasn't too frightened by it. There you um, go then. But uh, <laughs> yeah, which is one of the reasons I want to find someone to talk to about it. But um, uh, but yeah, apart from that, now I've been to the cinema a few times when it's been quiet. I've been on buses during the day when there's been hardly mm. anyone on them. But I only went into Manchester once, and I don't really want to to go again because of just the crowds. Um, yeah. Having said that, you know my. Um, because of, of just being immersed in looking after my mum for the last six weeks, I don't really have any real concept of what the infection rate's like out there or how dangerous or mm. not it is. Um, so it might be fine now. And, in f- I, you know, um, uh, two months ago, I would have thought maybe I am going to Grimfest um, just because it's a laugh. It is a laugh. So, uh, you and I sadly won't be going to Grimfest this year, but no. I've just been informed on Facebook that somebody who is going uh, is our friend and occasional co-host and uh, host of the Spider Dan and the Secret Boys podcast. But gives away who it is, really, doesn't it? <laughs> Spider Dan, he's going to be there. So, ah, oh, that's good. So, so, lucky him, I guess. Uh, he's he's a manchester resident so maybe it's not too risky for him to go in yeah that's true anyway um but uh yeah so in a way i'll feel like we are represented but i'll send him <laughs> i'll send him a message saying he has to conduct himself with the knowledge that he is <laughs> yeah, he's representing the brand 
he's a whole, <laughs> got a whole two podcasts to to represent so you know and we are there with him in spirit so i'll make sure he knows that howard has said he wants to come as well so maybe next year we'll all go along to Grimfest together well that'd be good um because it, it, is, yeah. it is a good laugh. and um, It is a good... I, I, it's really intense, though, isn't it? I'm exhausted by the end. <laughs> it is, although I think it'll be diff- a different kind of intensity now because now they seem to be branching out and having multiple screens. So yeah, you, that's you'll, great. you'll have to choose what films to watch. You can't just sit down and have them appear in front of your face. <laughs> so, um, you know... And, <coughs> Excuse me. <laughs> that that requires a whole other level of brain power and and um and planning. So you mean we're going to have to think at like eight o'clock at night when we've been there for twelve hours? <laughs> <laughs> Not sure that's a good idea. Um, uh, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, does. I think more than one screen is good because they can get more stuff in, spread people out, more tickets. It's good. Yeah, the lineup is amazing. Um, and mm. you know some classic films as well. Critters is yes. on. Because yeah, I saw that. D. Wallace is, is there in person. I've never actually watched Critters, so I'd, I would probably be very tempted to see that if I was going. Mm. Um, and then the uh, the whole array of uh, of new films as well, and short yeah. films, and, and all the usual um, kind of the great mix. Okay, shall we introduce the first interviewee then? I reckon. So, okay, so the first person that I spoke to was uh, the director, the Colombian director, Andres Beltran, who made a movie called Tarumama, which is a Colombian uh, supernatural horror thriller family drama um, about a a family who go to a cabin in the woods, which is never a good idea, um, and and find that the the kind of forest is haunted. and uh yeah it's it's a colombian movie it's in spanish um i had to explain to andres that despite (laughs) calling myself td velasquez i can't speak spanish he was very understanding luckily he's uh, he's british educated he spoke wonderful english um and uh, so that um yeah, normally what we do is we we play a bit of the trailer or something or a clip from the movie before we segue into the interview. However, both the trailer and uh, the movie are in Spanish, so it wouldn't work very well on an English language podcast. Um, but there'll be a link in the show notes to the Grimfest site where you can see a trailer for the movie. Um, the movie is made by a company called Dynamo Productions, and there's going to be a link there as well to their website, um, and also um, links to the various short films um, that uh, Andres mentions in the interview um, at, that are showing not at Grimfest but at the Sitges uh, Film Festival. So, um, yeah, loads of in, uh, loads of useful uh, links and information there, and. Um, yeah he's a gentleman so i'll tell you what we'll do um seeing as we can't really play a clip from the movie or or the trailer we'll just have some spooky music because the mo- the movie is big <laughs> on spooky music so um I'll, I'll layer in some spooky music and then you'll hear me talking to andres beltran
Well, hello, everybody. It's Dan here, and I have the absolute pleasure of being joined by the director and co-writer of the Colombian ghost story horror film Terramama from this year's Grimfest. It is Andres Beltran. Welcome, Andres. Hi, Dan. Thank you. Thank you so much for this for taking this time for for, for our movie. Hey, it's it's our pleasure. You know, I mean, um, uh, I'm not allowed to review the film at this point. But I'll, I'll say that I did enjoy it. So um, I think Great. that's as much detail as I can go into. <laughs> it, it's, I mean, the lineup at Grimfest is always very interesting. Uh, and it, it's, it's even bigger than usual this year. But this is definitely a very fascinating film in itself. Um, I just described it as a ghost story. Andres, um, but you may disagree. I mean, there are a lot of, uh, in horror, we we get a lot of kind of cabin in the woods kind of stories, um, I, which obviously this film is, but I would say it tends towards the spookier kind of ghostly end of the spectrum rather than um, the more violent or, or, or the more gruesome kind of evil dead sort of thing. Would you characterize it as a ghost story? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so um, because we we have this presence in the woods that's that's obviously not from this earth. It's um, something that comes from another dimension. If we if we want to put it in in that in that way, um, but yeah, it's a it's a ghost story. Uh, but it's really a story that's driven by 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 the by its characters. So I think it's it's more important. What happens to the characters, um, and then we 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 start to understand that that of course uh, it has to be with something that happened to the family. So I guess it's, it's it, we we may say it's a ghost psychological story or stuff like that. Yes, um, I, I think that as you said, the relationships between the characters are very uh, important, and the the plot um, summary of the movie. Is, is essentially that there is a family of four staying for a short period in, in this cabin in the forest for a, a, a short holiday. You have um, Paula Castaño as Sara, the mother, Andres Londono as Oscar, the father, and Geronimo Baron and Alana Della Rosa as the son and daughter, who are both very young. And they're all fantastic, and I think they're a particularly mm. convincing family, really well cast, mm. because they actually look like each other. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. You know, it's you, you, it, it almost has a kind of documentary feel, even though it's, mm. uh, it's very beautifully photographed and, and everything. But you, you, the way that the movie flashes forward, you know, you see elements of the of the family's life before the cabin you know um you see the husband and wife in counseling and things like that um and it it's basically you get a very intimate sense of the relationships mm. between all of them um yeah the, the the cast is is ideal really um is, is there anything you'd like to say about these wonderful actors that mm. you've gathered Mm. Yeah, they, they they are great. I mean, they. Um, I, I I didn't do a casting like a proper casting. Um, I I knew Paula because we did a Netflix series here in Colombia uh, called Wild District, 
Um, and I directed some episodes from season two. So I knew her. And when I started started writing the script, I I I kind of knew uh, I wanted her for for this this role. And Andres, um, I knew him from I don't know like five years ago or seven years ago. We met. We have a coffee, and we started talking about doing something together. Um, he lives in LA, Los Angeles, and and when when I started writing the script. I knew that he was the one to to play this this role, so I didn't cast him uh, like 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 we do in a proper sense. Um, I just called them and I sent them the script, and they they love it. So we started talking about the characters, and and then eventually uh, rehearsing uh, with the kids that we did a, a casting because we usually don't know many many young actors so sure. so we did we did uh a casting and then i met them and i i just i felt like the chemistry and and i felt they were really smart and sensitive and and i they they did a great job especially because it wasn't easy for for kids to play what what uh what happens to them so 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 it was really great working with them yeah, no, they're they're all fantastic, and um, although there are other actors and characters in the movie, the, the great weight of it is on those four, and and it really wouldn't work if if they weren't a, mm. a convincing unit. Um, mm. And uh, no, they're wonderful. Um, it's. Well, there's lots to say about the movie. Um, I, I think I should start by asking you what kind of led to your wanting to create it, because obviously you are the co-writer. Um, it's your second feature film, isn't it? As uh, as you mentioned, you've directed some TV for Netflix and, and, and various other things. And in 2015, it was your first feature film. So this is, is the second. Um, what was the genesis of this where you thought this will be the second film I want to make? Yeah, um, I think it's, there are two main ideas in, in this film. And, and one is the family, the drama. And then the other one is the supernatural and paranormal um, events that happen. And when, when I started developing the script, I, I, I wanted to make a horror film. That was my, my main goal. And um, I had this idea that I've been working on uh, since college. Uh, I, I was writing a script about a marriage, a couple that, that are dealing with a crisis. But it was a complete different story. It was just, it was a drama. It had nothing to do with the horror. Um, and then I, I, I eventually knew that I, I wanted to keep pursuing this idea. So I took that from, from that story. Uh, and I started reading uh, uh, stories and legends and, uh, from, from our folk, folklore and folk tales here in Colombia. And there, there was this book about many, many stories that I read when I was a kid in, in, in school. And it was called La Tarumama. Which is the name uh, of the of the film, and this is a creature that has some elements similar to La Llorona, the the crying woman, uh, but it's it's different. I mean, from the way it looks, and 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 it was about a woman that lost her baby. It was about maternity. So so in that sense, I felt that that was the right uh, choice for my story because 
main uh, the main well the one of the main problems that this, this family is, is having has to do with the with maternity and being my mom being a dad so so i guess it all came together and i started writing the script i wrote six drafts and wow. then came yeah and then came on board uh anton buenichea which is uh, who is a spanish uh, writer and we worked together I think the script was like the 14th version, the 14th draft that we shot. So nice. we 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 work a lot, a lot of uh choices and different choices and and it was really fun. Oh yeah, you've got to go through that process, haven't you? <laughs> and to to get really high quality. It, and it, as you say, it's every page of a movie screenplay is a choice. Uh, mm. One of my co-hosts, Ian, who's uh, obviously uh, not able to be here right now, is a screenwriter himself. So we um, we get a lot of insight from him on, on the process, <laughs> and um, it's. Uh, to someone who doesn't, as someone myself who doesn't do a lot of writing, you know, mm-hmm. um, it, it sounds pretty grueling, the amount of kind of revision <laughs> that you have to put in there. But, you know, I understand that that's part of the process. You can't just write mm-hmm. the first thing that comes into your head. Um, yeah. But, uh, it, but I think your instincts was um, really on the money there because the, the kind of a, a lot of, ghost stories i think or folkloric things are kind of about um anxieties around maternity you know i Mm. I think some of these characters in folklore are what people described when they didn't have the scientific language to understand um Mm. you know uh, biology in that way and mm. and and also it's just a trauma that runs through all our lives i think we all have a nightmare mm. of um uh, you know of whether when we were children or, or to do with our own children it's it's a really innate fear mm. um that really works on on that level um so you mm. mentioned you'd um uh, you researched the folklore um, so I wanted to ask, is that where you found the idea that's present in the film of eating hot coal? Because I'd never seen that before. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I took that from there. I mean, that's I, I when I was reading the, the story, I, I knew that that image was just so, uh, so unique. That, yeah. that I needed to put it on the film. And, and, it, and it's also about, I think for me, it was also about guilt, about how we, how sometimes we, we feel guilty and then somehow we punish ourselves and by, by eating um, hot um, charcoal. Uh, so, so I think, yeah, that, that image comes from the legend. So, so it's wow. not something that I invented um but but i but it's 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 great i mean it, it, no I, I guess nobody has used it here in colombia at, at least right well i i did google it um to see um what the folkloric basis was but unfortunately most of the uh, results that came up were like people asking can i eat hot coal is it safe <laughs> and i thought do you really need to google this <laughs> um, very strange but um no i think i think it's a terrific image both horrifically mm. and visually and also metaphorically because mm. like you say it's uh it's when we take something that we know is bad for us but we persist mm. with it isn't it so mm. um uh yeah also i i noted that in uh, colombia 
there's a different title for the film. It's called, uh, uh, and forgive me if I pronounce this incorrectly, <laughs> it's called uh, Lanto Maldito. So what does that mean? Is uh, I guess that's not a literal translation of the Taramama. So, um, so no, no, it's different. Uh, it's like a uh, hunt, um, curse, uh, cry, 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 I guess. Uh, All right. Uh, yeah. Or haunted cry i don't know how, how to translate it uh right. i think Kurt, that's why that's why like, you've given it a completely <laughs> different title i understand now it's a silly question to ask really um uh, <laughs> uh, it would, would, uh, oh uh you've really broken up there uh, andres stop. um so i can't really hear stop. you ah you're back yeah, okay we're back Yes. Um, uh, okay. Yeah. So I couldn't hear you. Yeah, for the it's last about it's about the the. Uh, okay. Now I, I recap. It's about the legend, uh, the myth, um, and 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 we we sort of felt that Colombian audience needed a much more straightforward title, because Tarumama, it's actually something that it's a word that it doesn't exist. Actually, it's a it's a name of of the creature of the ghost. Yeah. So, so people in Colombia love to watch horror films, but they want to know they're going to a horror film. So, sure. so it's like they know when they read the title, this is a horror film. Okay. Um, good marketing sense. <laughs> yeah. 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 That is important. Um, so uh, you said you wanted to, to make a horror film. That was kind of your choice for your second movie. So is this a genre mm. that you're a fan of or that is inspiring to you? Hmm. I I always I always uh, like the, the the genre. I I I've, I've always um, yeah. I've I've watched many films. Uh, I, I, like when I was a kid, I used to watch uh, Nightmare on Elm Street or the Chucky films and all oh, those okay. uh, films. And I grew up watching those films. Uh, but but then um, when I was in London, I did a master's degree in London. Um, and and I, I wanted to use the landscape and the the kind of the, the the fog and the atmosphere. And I did a short film called The Undertaker. And it was a vampire story. It was more gothic. And and I nice. kind of felt that yeah, this is a this is a genre that I really enjoy, you know, how to how to create the, the, the atmosphere, the, the environment, the mood. Um, so I came back. And I released my, my first feature film and I started thinking about doing a horror film. And then I, I, I started watching more horror films. And I, I, this is the kind of a genre that people might say is sometimes it's just gory or it's just um, about jump scares. But I, I found so many interesting films and, and, and this so-called new horror that combine uh, drama with with uh with horror that i knew that that was something that i wanted to explore uh and which is really difficult i mean i must say it's really difficult to balance the story elements the characters with the with the horror with what, what people usually like likes to see in, in films uh in horror films like 
So, so it was a great challenge, and I love it, and, and I want to keep doing more horror films. I think it's a great, great uh, genre. I, I love it. Oh, that's wonderful to hear. Um, <laughs> and I think you've got a good handle on it, so I, I hope you do do more. But it, you're right, it is a very difficult balance to strike uh, between kind of realistic drama and, and the kind of horror mm. genre thrills, even though I think that it's a natural marriage as well, because I think, like I was saying before, I think so much of horror comes from our subconscious and from our deep fears mm. and, and our mm. deep needs, um, that, that it really, the genre really speaks a lot about us as human beings. So it is mm. very deep and dramatic, but yeah, you, but you're right as well. It is a, a very mm. difficult balance to strike, hence 14 drafts. Um, <laughs> But I I, I really like the the genre style that you bring to the movie, though. I mean, um, rightly, I think you are focused on the, uh, you know, the characterizations and the actors, but they are surrounded by very subtle but very effective horror visuals and 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 sound choices um i was reminded of the shining when uh, they first get into the cabin and um uh, thomas is uh, playing with his toy cars and they go over <laughs> floorboards and things and you really feel <laughs> the sound of the different materials mm. that they're driving over um mm. also the amazing scenes in the forest i think your mm. your cinematographer uh uh, Juan Carlos Cajal, if I've said that, mm-hmm. no, I've said that wrong, Cajal. <laughs> Juan Carlos Cajal. Um, he does an absolutely stunning job. The, the, mm. Just the, the, the kind of endless, the sense of endlessness in the, in the, in the woods, you know, the, the people in the foreground of the shots and then just uh, an eternity of trees leading off into the mist kind of behind them. Yeah. That's just yeah. perfect. And, um, I think that kind of subtle horror effect is essential to this kind of story. And, and I mean, the reason I asked you if you would consider it a ghost story, first thing, is because um, that's probably my favourite mode of horror. I mean, mm. I, I like lots of different kinds of horror. That's why I do a horror podcast. But that's probably my favourite. Um, and I, I love the subtlety of it and the delicacy of it. And I, I think that the movie does that really well also the sound design and the score are Mm. incredible in the film Mm. just kind of underscoring a constant feeling of tension and dread without um going too over the top with it without Mm. hitting the audience over the head with it and i think the movie as you suggest kind of shifts between the tension of the relationship difficulties uh particularly between um Oscar and Sarah and the tension of the growing kind of supernatural threat. Um, and I, I think that the, the music and sound design support both of those things kind of wonderfully. Um, it, yeah. I, um, so I, I really enjoyed it. Um, so um, if uh, you'd like to work more in horror, that's great news. Um, do you have <laughs> any projects within the genre coming up or are you going to try something different immediately? Uh, yes. As a matter of fact, I, I do have. Um, I have a short film that I, I did with my wife. She was the producer. And we did it while we were uh, in the lockout here in Colombia. 
uh, last year. Oh, and wow. this short film <laughs> is called Vanity Mi Mirror, Vanity Mirror, and it's going to be premiered at Sidges. It's also part of the official selection there. Um, and, and we have that. And I wrote a script called Anima. Okay. And uh, it, it was selected in this year's uh, Sidges Pitch Box, um, this sort of pitch. Uh, and and, and they, they, they arrange uh, meetings with executives and all that. And that script is a horror film that it's going to be, uh, it's part of, there are six projects uh, that has been chosen. It's, it's one of them. So, so yeah, I'm there. I'm, I'm working on, 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 the, on the same genre and, and, and I want to keep learning and, and doing better films, of course. Oh, that's fantastic. And, you know, it's wonderful when someone has a flair for the genre that they they hone that flair instead of immediately, um, you know, try, trying to do something else. So, um, mm. and also, may I say, I think I love the sound of your film industry, um, you know, because <laughs> I think there are a, a lot of directors who want to do multiple horror or, or will try a horror short film and things. But, and it's a great way to show talent, but it's not always, certainly in this part of the world in Britain um, and, and maybe mm. in the US, it's, it's not necessarily very easy to get that kind of thing funded um, or mm. supported because um, it's great that you're, you're, you're building a body of work um, um, and it's great that you made a film during lockdown as well, that's, that's fantastic <laughs> um, uh, I, I, I made a film in lockdown but uh, something got me in it and, and I got bored before I finished editing it so, um, but you know you've got to do something to, to kind of pass the time I, I think it was a success on that level um, but it won't be troubling any film festivals um, uh, maybe I should finish it sometime but uh, no that, that's yeah, great please. So at Sitges, will people be able to maybe see? It's not in a double bill uh, before Taramama, is it? The um, the your short film. Then no, it's no. it's on the section called Brig Brig Brigadon, which is the short film international short films uh, section. Okay, it's part of the, that that official selection. Yeah. All right. Well, we shall put links to it in our show notes so that that Thank people you. can be aware of of the short movie. Well. Um, Andres, this has been a pleasure. I want to talk more about the movie, but I don't think I could do so without spoiling it for people. It, it's not <laughs> it's not been on in Manchester yet as we record, and it's going to be um, for people who can't get to the the actual festival. It's going to be in the Grimfest virtual festival, isn't it? So yeah, people will be inviting it into their homes as well, which is. Um, it has its own level of, of fear and intimacy, which is kind of appropriate to the movie. Um, uh, all right. Well, you've got two film festivals concurrently. So I, yeah. I, I want to wish you the very best with both of them. Um, thank you very much, Andres Beltran. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dan. It was really nice talking to you. So that was director Andres Beltran talking to me about his film Terramama, or to give it its Colombian title, Hamto Maldito, which I stupidly asked him what well it done. means. <laughs> and he said, well, if I could tell you what it means, we wouldn't have had to call the movie Terramama. <laughs> so <laughs> the whole point is it's not translatable. So he didn't right. say it like that. He was very gentleman. <laughs> <laughs>
Um, <laughs> so that movie is on in uh, the the live portion of the Grimfest hybrid festival on Sunday, this Sunday coming, which is the 10th of October. And then in the virtual festival the following week, it will be available on Sunday again, which is the 17th of October. So again, if you go to the links in our show notes, um, they'll take you to the Grimfest website where you can book tickets and you can read about the film, see trailers and things like that. And also um, uh, read about all the other kind of short films which Andreas was discussing in the interview. So, okay, so um, moving swiftly on then. We're going to have a longer interview now with uh, a a multiplicity of people. Um, This was an interview that Ian was meant to conduct, um, but I had to step in for him at the last minute. So I was a bit shell-shocked. I'd seen the film, (laughs) but kind of making it up a bit as I went along. You may be able to tell that. Well, you will now, because I've just told you. (laughs) You just said Um, it. Uh, the movie is called Slap Face. It's an American, <laughs> interesting kind of. Uh, it's it's a, a very strange kind of genre hybrid. It's a it's a coming of age movie. It's a film mm. about bullying and kind of abusive family relationships. It's also got a kind of folkloric witch aspect to it. Um, and it it's pretty extraordinary. And it was a really interesting film to discuss. And, uh, you know, I am clear in the interview that we're not allowed to review the movies at this point, but I think you can tell that I like the movie. Um, (laughs) And so I I spoke to the uh, the writer-director, Jeremiah Kipp. Um, and it's a great name. <laughs> it is a fantastic name. Such a good name. <laughs> um, and the young star, August Maturo, who is also in The Nun, which I didn't see. Um, oh. That's, is that part of the Conjuring universe? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. It, he's uh, extraordinary performance. And also the, uh, uh, the male lead, um, or, or rather the adult male lead, and also co-producer of the movie, Mike Manning. And the female lead of the movie, Libé Barrera from TV's Sneaky Pete. Um, and I'll give you details after the interview of exactly when that film's on and and everything like that. First things first, here's a bit of the very atmospheric music from the movie, just to set the mood. Hello everybody, this is uh, Dan. Um, I'm, I have the honour of doing this interview about the movie Slapface. Um, Ian was meant to be with us, sadly he, he can't be here for reasons which I'll discuss elsewhere on the programme. Um, but I've been able to step in and watch the movie and I'm here joined by a, a number of the key talents behind this extraordinary film. So I'm going to uh, in- introduce each person one by one. Um, as I can see them on my screen. So first we have the writer-director, Jeremiah Kitt. Hello, sir. Hey, thanks for having us, Dan. 
you're very welcome. And then we have the lead of the movie, August Machuro. Hi, glad to be here. And then we have uh, two further lead actors from the movie. First, we have Libe Barra, who plays Anna in the movie. Uh, welcome to our podcast. Um, and finally, we have Mike Manning, who plays Tom in the movie. Hello, sir. Hello, thank you for having me. Uh, it's our pleasure. So, Slapface is an absolutely extraordinary movie. That's not a review. I have to say that because we're not allowed to review it um, before it comes to Grimfest in Manchester, which, uh, as we speak, is still a couple of weeks away or a week and a half away. Um, so, uh, I can't uh, say exactly that I, whether I thought it was good, but I will say I think it's an extraordinary film. Um, I think it's, uh, I've been thinking about this, it's a very difficult film to sum up in a sentence. And Jeremiah, you might have had to do that for various executives, funding people over, over the years. You've had to pitch this film uh, repeatedly. So I wonder if you can sum up briefly what the movie is. And if you don't feel you can, that's fine, because it is a complex film. Sure, I'm happy to. So Slapface um, Face is the story of uh, two brothers who uh, lost both of their parents in an accident about a year previous to our story. And uh, they're dealing with that loss and that grief and that trauma in a very peculiar way. I mean, they live remotely in the woods. And uh, when, whenever uh, the youngest brother, Lucas, is acting up, they engage in a very strange game or ritual called slap face, where they, uh, they take turns uh, slapping each other as hard as they can uh, as a means of uh, what Tom describes as clearing the shit away, uh, as a way for them to wake themselves up and uh, uh, deal with their trauma in a particularly dysfunctional way. Uh, Lieve Ferrer's character, Anna, is... Uh, um, in a relationship with Tom and she catches a glimpse of this game of slap face. And uh, she's a surrogate for the audience in many ways where she doesn't comprehend this ritual that seems so sadistic and masochistic. Now, while all that is going on in, um, in their lives, uh, there's also a monster in the woods. Uh, there's a folk legend in the town of Fishkill, New York and young Lucas, who really is trying in some ways to uh, re-engage with a mother figure, uh, attempts to manifest this strange spirit. And then uh, the monster and the boy forge a very bizarre friendship, but one that grows increasingly complicated and dangerous to all the characters involved. Well, that was a, a brilliant summing up, sir. Um, I think I'm uh, vindicated in suggesting the film is complex by the, by how much was in that summary. And, and, you know, there are many significant and moving subplots in the movie, uh, such as Lucas's uh, kind of burgeoning romantic relationship that, 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 that you didn't mention there. It just goes to show how much there is in this movie as a narrative. Um, it's, a, it's a really meaty and emotional story. Um, that, that functions on a dramatic human level, um, 
uh, as well as, you know, obviously because it's in Grimfest, we expect this. It, it's a horror film too. It's, it's a frightening movie. It's got supernatural elements. And I think that it's an extraordinary balance that it, that it pulls off. Um, I think that the number one thing about the movie, and I'm not just saying this because August and Lee Bay and Mike are here, um, are the actors and the characters um, who you get to, the audience gets to live with and feel their real lives very keenly. Um, Jeremiah, I would, I'd just like to ask you a little bit, um, and, and August and Lee Bay and Mike, please feed in on this, um, about the, the characters in the movie seem very real and very rounded um, and very um, present and engaged. Um, obviously, Jeremiah, as the writer and director, you've created those characters and, and you worked with the actors to realize them. What was the um, the casting process that led you to these wonderful people? Or rather, I know, we, I know what the process of casting is, but for in, what, what made you um, decide that August was the person to, to realize Lucas, for instance? Well, um, I'll start by saying that um, the casting director, uh, Carolyn Sinclair and Mike Manning, who also produced the film, and I, you know, when you're casting, you make these lists and say, who are the actors that we have in mind for these roles? And uh, so August was on all three of our lists. Uh, we all wanted him really badly. Uh, I just think he's a remarkable actor. He's just such a immensely talented guy. You know, he has a cachet in the horror world. He was in a movie called The Nun that did very well. But he's also done uh, a lot of independent films. I mean, you know, he, um, you know, just watching his reel, you could see like the depths of his humanity and his emotional availability and his complexity. Uh, August is like hanging out with a 40 year old. He's a very old soul. So, you know, we, we auditioned many young actors uh, who were able to play some part of Lucas. Like they were able to access grief or rage but or but they you know they couldn't do everything and nor could they suggest a, a deep underlying trauma. Now August is not traumatized, but uh, <laughs> he, but he is yeah. a very old soul and he's very grounded and he was able to bring a lot of that stuff into the movie. Uh, so I, I would have done anything to get him. We made a straight offer to August and thankfully he read the script and really wanted to do the film. And yeah, said, yeah. at the time, sorry, <laughs> at the, at the time when I got the offer. Um, I had just done The Nun, as you said. So I, since then, I was like obsessed with the horror and thriller drama genres, you know? And um, when I read the script, I was like, oh my gosh, my dreams have come true. I really want to play like a, a, the lead in a horror or thriller. And I just got an offer for it. Of course, I'm going to play. <laughs> I'm going to play Lucas. I was so excited to, to, um, to accept the offer and start working. Brilliant. Um, I, I want to ask you, August, um, something about the movie that's really powerful is it, it, you describe it as it's a horror thriller and you wanted to star in it um, for that reason. But I think that it, it's very, very human and affecting as well. And there are scenes in the movie where you have to 
yourself as an actor on your own, really. You have to make it, it feel real because what you're acting with is, is a creature. Um, you know, I know there's an actor within it, but, um, you know, there isn't anybody else giving you like a facial emotion to react off. Um, and you're having to be very, very emotional. Um, and it, it works incredibly well. It's really powerful. How did you find doing scenes like that where you're essentially, or, or, you know, scenes where you're in a room with no other moving actors and, and having to kind of convey that level of emotion? So acting with Lucas Hassel was amazing. The, 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 the guy who plays the monster, sure. because he's not just, it's, it was very easy to play off of him um, because he, he was an actor under all that costume and makeup. He was an actor. So I was able to um, act with him and be able to go off of him in the scenes and not just him, but everyone has been giving it like, was giving it a hundred percent. So it was easy for me to give it a hundred percent. And um, I was able to make things like really real because um, the movie also does include bullying. And a week before I started working, when I got the offer actually, um, I was in middle school. And as you might remember, middle school sucks. <laughs> and um, I was an actor going into a sports school so I did have to deal with bullying, but I was able to draw from those experiences and use it in the movie. And um, that's how I was able to make the bullying look really real. And um, even though the actors who bully me, um, Chiara and Bianca D'Ambrosio and Mirabelle Lee, um, they, were, they were like my best friends on set. So right when they would cut, we would just laugh because <laughs> We, we, we also got to learn so much things as an actor because um, our stunt coordinator, coordinator, Matt Kerr, who um, was actually the stunt double for John Wick, he taught us a whole bunch of stuff like how, like, how one, of the, um, one of the bullies would tackle me and stuff, how I was supposed to shoot a gun and stuff. And it was really fun. All of it was just so fun. Oh, brilliant. I, I, I have to say one of the things I love about the movie, um, a small element, is the fact that the bullying story is one boy being bullied by three girls, mm -hmm. which um, is something I can relate to. Um, you know, I've been outnumbered. Um, I think we've, <laughs> all, we've all been outnumbered by uh, any, any kind of different people at points, but you don't see it in movies a lot. Um, mm -hmm. the, uh, the kind of the male victim of, of bullying by the, by the opposite sex. I thought that was really interesting. And also the fact that one of the bullies secretly likes him, but, but can't show that to the other bullies. Mm -hmm. And that, that brings a, a, a level of um, complexity to it as well. That, that's really nice. Um, mm -hmm. If I can come to you, Mike, as, as you are um, a producer on the movie, um, can I ask, so did, did your involvement with the film start before you're being cast as, as Tom, did you always intend to play that role? Um, how did that come about? Yeah, so uh, like you said earlier, so many casting, um, so much of the casting process for an actor is usually uh, auditioning and waiting by the phone for somebody to sort of give you permission to be a part of the story. And with this one, for me, uh, the nice thing about it is that this was a story that I sort of 
sought out. Um, it was the type of story I wanted to tell. And I had, I had um, successfully produced and distributed a film called MFA, uh, which is a horror thriller, but it deals with sort of sexual assault. And I decided at that point that the horror thriller genre uh, of storytelling, but also having stories that sort of mean something and transcend that genre is something that I enjoyed producing. So I, I told that to a few friends and one of uh, my friends was Joe Benedetto, a producer in New York who knew Jeremiah. And so Joe was the one that uh, connected me with, with Jeremiah. And, um, and originally when I first had the script, it was a, a father son story. And I read the script and I said, Jeremiah, this is basically exactly what I'm looking for. But, um, you know, and I don't want to make this my idea. I want to keep this your idea. But how do you feel about this being a story between two brothers um, and keeping all things the same in terms of the father trying to raise, you know, the son, but having it be an older brother, um, you know, who is still abusive, who still doesn't know how to be a guardian but but he is genuinely trying to do the best he can and i said i don't want this to be my idea i want this to be your idea and he called me the next day and he said mike uh let's do it let's make this movie so he rewrote the movie to be a, a brother story and then and i said well you do know i i want to play tom right And he goes yeah i know that <laughs> and uh and then and then after that we sort of just built the the film one by one with with the actors uh, with August, and then you know we were lucky enough to find August. We were lucky enough to find Libe, um, who both just do such a tremendous job. And then Lucas Hassel, uh, as the monster, had also been the monster in the short film. And originally, in my mind, I had somebody else in mind. And Jeremiah said, "Just trust me. You know, let's just like have a meeting with him, and and we'll see how he let him talk to you about the monster." And and we did. And and I'm so glad that we did because like August said, Lucas himself to the monster character brings so much humanity and so much of that like motherly figure, which is kind of ironic from a, an older male actor uh, to, to be that feminine and that maternal in that character. It was basically exactly what we were looking for. Brilliant. I, I love that the, the script was originally a father son story and it was rewritten as brother uh, to brother, because actually that adds another layer of um, kind of uh, uh, of realism and also um, of complexity, to, especially to the character of Tom, because uh, there is that line, I think, that, that Lucas at one point says something like, stop trying to sound like dad. It's like you get that sense that Tom feels that his father is not there and he has the responsibility to take on the, the parental role, but he's not always completely um, up to the task, shall we say. Um, he's, he's not always very good at it, but mm -hmm. you do see that he's trying. And I think that's that's really important, especially in a movie where it the, the premise kind of hinges on the slap face game. The, the first time you see these characters, they're playing this game and, and, it, uh, and you see that this... Um, this relationship is uh, characterized by a kind of physical abuse, really. Um, 
but it's coming from a very sincere place. Um, Jeremiah, I want to ask you more about that and, and about your inspirations behind writing uh, that element of the story. But um, Libe, if I, if I come to you first, I think your character of Anna, because she's, in a way, she's, she's the gateway point um, for a certain section of the audience because she's more immediately relatable than these two brothers with their strange relationship. Um, and, you know, your reactions in the movie to, to what's happening around them and to their behaviour are, I, I think, what we would hope our reactions would be in that scenario. And that, that really comes across. Um, that's what drew me, kind of, uh, that, that cemented the film's grip on me, really, was that there was that character there who was kind of, seeing it in the same way I, I felt I did as, as an audience uh, participant. But how did you feel about the character of Anna when you, you read the script? And... Yeah, I, um, I, I think what really drew me to Anna and the dynamic was like this weird sort of, because um, it's funny, when I read the script, I was like, <laughs> I, was, I was on location for another movie and I got the script and I was like, a horror movie I don't know and I started reading it and I was like oh this like this isn't just a horror movie this is like I, the, what stood out to me was I was like I was like this reads like a Sam Shepard play like this to me feels like these are like three animals like trying to figure out life without like the tools and resources to be able to do it and I was like in, in the middle of the woods and they're figuring this out and like that that dynamic was really compelling to me and like this drifter who found herself there and the circum the dynamic of the brothers and um this like it really raised the question to me of like what is a family unit and that that was like a really interesting layer of exploration that i was super drawn to in the script because anna has a, a similar problem to tom in a way in that she kind of feels that she she sees the void of a maternal figure in the household and kind of feels, oh, maybe I should try and fill that role. But August, uh, Lucas rather, is, is not always keen for that to be the case. Mm. Um, and again, like Tom, Anna doesn't always kind of know how to go about it, but she tries anyway. So it, that's very endearing. And you do feel for her when uh, Lucas doesn't respond too warmly to, to those kind of overtures. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. It's like when you're put in the position in like a position of sort of motherhood, like the need of motherhood, like how do you feel that, that like how does someone who without who, because I don't think Anna naturally in the world is like naturally like a mother. She just came into these circumstances and there was that void and therefore she had to like sort of shape to fit. And it's like, sometimes it's like a square peg in a round hole and sometimes it worked. And like, um, it was really fun and interesting to figure out and playing with both of, um, both of these actors here was so fun figuring that out. And, yeah, and it, it really comes across on screen that, that there's a real um, human complexity to, to the way the three of you kind of interact. And um, Libre and Mike, the relationship between your characters on screen is uh, really lovely. It's, um, when I say lovely, it's spiky, like real relationships are. It, it you know, it, it has its 
uh, tender moments and it has its um, angry moments and things like that. And then there's the, 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 the kind of strangeness of Mike, like the, the, the great conversation about the, the, uh, the pistol that he keeps by his bed. Um, yeah, and I just remember thinking in that scene, you know, he, he they're, they're in bed together and Mike hands Anna a gun and then says, oh, it's loaded, by the way. And, and, yeah, and I, I just found myself thinking, how would I react if I was in bed yeah, with someone yeah, yeah, they just gave me a gun? I, I love I love how how Jeremiah peppered those moments within the script, because I think just like like Libe said, I think that this is an exploration of of people doing the best they can uh, with the tools that they're given and all sort of not, you know, everybody's getting like a like a C. Nobody's getting an A, you know, in, in anything that they're trying to do. But it's it's a story of like grief and loss and and Lucas having to grow up, uh, you know, before his time and take care of his older brother and his older brother also, you know, Tom trying to navigate being a guardian and and sort of being thrust into this situation with no tools, with no roadmap. And um, and 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 sort of there. The thing that I loved about Tom is that in some scenes, He's trying to be, you know, he's going to work. He's trying to give his little brother advice like any brother would. He's trying to be this parental figure. And even the, tragically with the game of Slapface, in Tom's mind, he thinks that he's doing the right thing. He thinks that this is how you discipline because he probably, well, not probably, he learned that from his father. And so it's this almost cycle of abuse. But Tom thinks he's doing the right thing. And, and so you see him as this guardian, but then you see him in these moments, especially with Anna, and you realize, wow, this is just a kid himself trying to, you know, he's 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 bragging about his gun right next to his bed, and he's he's you know he's he like he can't make breakfast to save his life, and you know all these other things that remind you that he's just a kid himself doing the best he can. I think that that adds to the the complexity and ultimately the tragedy of these characters sort of trying and failing and trying and failing. Absolutely. Um, so on, on that note then, Jeremiah, I wanted to ask you, what was your starting point? I know how passionate you've been about writing this story and about, you know, all the years of, of bringing it to fruition. Um, what was the thing you, re you really wanted to to say with with the story and with the movie that made you start writing in the first place well part of it was honestly just making a film about where i grew up i um i grew up in a remote farmhouse in rhode island uh deep in the woods and i grew up with my uh grandparents um so i was a very avid uh reader and i watched a lot of horror movies as a kid and my grandparents didn't distinguish between horror films and fairy tales. You know, they, they kind of interpreted Hansel and Gretel the same way they did the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. There was no differentiation between them, uh, which I thought was really wonderful. And I always thought that horror was a, a way to talk about the stuff that was deeply troubling. You know, the, the stuff in our human lives that are the most painful uh, you could call it a metaphor or you could call it reality plus or you could call it whatever you like, but horror films are able to stretch us beyond into something that's more poetic. Uh, one of my favorite novels 
is Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. And in the middle of the book, there's a really powerful section where the monster is narrating the story. And the monster is outside of a farmhouse uh, deep in the woods and imagining the lives of the family inside. And I remember reading that and thinking, you know, what are what would the lives be of those people? And I started incorporating stuff from my grandfather's backstory. Indeed, he was pursued by three girls who threw rocks at him. And one of them would always circle back around and say, I'm your secret girlfriend, but don't tell anyone or we'll punish you. It's kind (laughs) of like having an affair. Uh, And uh, and also, you know, his father played slap face with him. You know, like that was something that they did. And it made us it, it when my grandfather told me about it, I thought that was more terrifying than any horror film. You know, mm. I thought that that was so human and so scary that if you started with the monster outside of the farmhouse and moved inside and they were playing slap face, then it would be horror on a on a different plane. You know, you would have the fun of the monster and you would have the disturbia of, yes. of an abusive relationship. Uh, and, in, and in many ways, uh, the game of slap face is learned behavior. Some people have you know, interpreted the monster as a metaphor for bullying, but I think the monster really is about learned behavior. The monster is copying behavior that she learned from watching other people. She copies the behavior of Lee Bay's character. She copies the game of slap face at a certain point. And all of the characters are kind of play acting. You know, Anna mm-hmm. is play acting the role of the mother and of the wife. And uh, and um, the uh, Lucas's uh, girlfriend, Mariah, is play acting the role of, uh, of the lover. And Mike is and Mike Manning's character is play acting the role of the father. I thought one of Mike Manning's great notes in the story was, "Can we make them brothers?" I'm glad he talked about it because I thought it only made the story deeper and richer. Uh, and and that's just a testament to Mike as a real collaborator and a real ally. Production, you know, if I if if I felt like his note was steering us away from the original intention of the story, then I would have respectfully declined to continue. But I loved Mike's note. I was reading Huckleberry Finn at the time, and that is about children having to take on adult roles in a world of alcoholism and poverty. And I thought, my gosh, you know, like that, it makes the role so much richer when it's not a deadbeat dad, but a, a younger, an older brother who is trying really hard to be the dad and saying things that the dad said, doing things that the dad did. And, you know, when audiences ask who is the real monster in the story, you know, is Tom the monster? you know, is Lucas the monster, well, uh, you know, it's, it's, I, and, and I think that some of those are questions that Anna asks as well. I think you can argue that all of those characters, uh, Tom and Lucas and the monster, they're all frightening at different points in different ways. Maybe Anna is the only character in the movie who's not frightening. I'm sorry, Lee, but I'm sure you, <laughs> I'm sure you can be very frightening if you choose to, but, um, uh, you know, uh, she's that's what i mean about her being kind of the character the audience empathizes with most and i think that you have to have that that completely empathetic character to feel really frightened by this kind of story and i I think that your intention jeremiah of kind of doubling double layering the horror if you like uh, by having the kind of monster outside the house and and the kind of abusive relationship in the house uh, it really works and actually you know the as i've said the opening scene is the, the two characters playing slap face and 
it's instantly chilling and strange and, and pulls you right in. Um, and, and and it kind of, the movie does this uh, dance where you, you go through it and you're not, at points you're not sure which is more disturbing, which is the kind of slap face relationship between uh, Tom and Lucas or the, the, the monster character who keeps appearing. Um, and those things kind of intertwine really nicely. I did think about the slap face as well. Can I ask August, you mentioned your the stunt coordinator and, and how great they were. Um, so when it came to the slapping scenes, I was watching it and kind of thinking, are they really hitting each other and wincing? Um, how was how that done? So um, we were, we would actually sit far enough apart from each other so that if we put out our arm, it would be close enough to look real at an yeah. angle from the uh, on the camera, but far enough away that it won't make contact. Sure. And um, thanks to Matt Kerr, he actually taught us that. And um, he actually told us that there were also three different types of slaps. There was like the kind of slide. There was the regular, and then there's the cup one. So okay. he told us that too, which was really interesting. And um, to be able to do that on set was um, such a blast. I don't know what he's talking about. He was really hitting me in the face every time. <laughs> <laughs> <And> it, <laughs> no, kidding. Well, I have to say I <laughs> winced every time. Um, I was pretty sure you couldn't really be doing it, but he absolutely looked and felt like you were every time. So um, that's... That's that's yeah, great. The, movie actors, craft. the actors being safe on set is extremely important to all of us. I, you know, I like making films that are really dark and disturbing and unnerving, but I don't want to create this story in an environment that is disturbing and unnerving for the actors. The actors have to feel safe, and the actors have to feel relaxed in order to access these uh, these very primal, dark feelings. So. Yeah, we rehearsed the slap face games in advance so the actors could experience them. Anytime that we had a stunt, we would and make sure everybody felt grounded and everybody felt like they weren't going to get hurt because then they can play getting hurt. You know, they can they can access those the, the rich inner life uh, powerfully. Uh, but I wouldn't want to make a movie where you know, like I. I recently made a film with an actor playing someone with PTSD and it was a method actor who accessed a lot of PTSD and it was really hard. And I was, and that was a short film. And I was like, man, if I had to do that for three weeks, you know, that would be enormously hard on everyone. Uh, and so by, by creating an environment where we are playing make believe, even if it's in a very dark and disturbing place, um, you know, we can care for each other and we can show compassion for each other. You know, the, the reason if the film is tragic at all, it's because there's compassion for all of the characters and all of their imperfections. Um, and the making of the movie is the movie. So we have to show compassion for each other while we're making it uh, in order for the audience to feel compassion and trauma in the um, in the audience. On that note, can I ask about the role played by Dan Hadea, who's terrific in, in his cameo as the sheriff? And he kind of sums up that um, uh, 
that conflict um, between at the same time trying to show authority, but also trying to show compassion. You know, he is a figure of authority in the town, but and he, but he's kind of deliberately holding back from punishing Lucas as much as perhaps people would think he should, because he knows what these two characters have been through. So that's a really yeah. Death Day has a lot of gravitas. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, yes, uh, I mean... He was I, in a film called Blood Simple, uh, directed by Joel and Ethan Cohen. It was their first feature. And I saw that movie when I was August's age. I was 12. I remember watching that movie, and, and that was one of the definitive movies for me that made me say I want to make films. Uh, so when we were casting The Sheriff, uh, Dan's name came up, and I was, like, really surprised i hoped he would do the film I, you know it's, you, you never know if somebody's going to say yes or not um and um you know it, it just felt in a way like uh having dan be in the movie felt of a piece with all of my feelings about the the film if, if if we're making a film that is about where i grew up and the influences in my life then having dan in the role of this mentor figure uh just felt personally and professionally rewarding to me. And then Dan was a wonderful actor. He, uh, like during his big scene with August, they hadn't met and he needed to create uh, the foundation of a long-term relationship with August. So when they were rehearsing the scene, uh, if August was doing this, then Dan would do this. You know, and if August <laughs> did this, then Dan would do this. And Dan was mirroring August, which is an old actor trick. You know, it's a, it's a it's a thing that sometimes people do when they're dating to create trust between each other. Uh, <laughs> so Dan was doing that as a way to connect him and August, and you know, it, and then you can't really argue with the results. It was such a beautiful and tender scene between them, uh, and you know, I really uh, owe Dan a great debt of gratitude for uh, for saying yes to doing the movie. I should also add that. Uh, Libé Brer has acted with two of the three leads of Blood Simple. She acted with M.M. Walsh and Sneaky Pete, and she acted with Dan Hedaya in uh, Slapface. And now wow. I tell her, you know, you've got to get Francis McDormand next. Uh, <laughs> so from my lips to God's ears, you know, uh, Libé Brer and Francis McDormand will do a film together. I think they would be enormously great scene partners. Uh, that would be incredible. I bet, Libé, you, you needed really you needed convincing to think you wanted to do a scene with Francis McDormand. Yeah, I would need to make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> no, that'd be wonderful. And um, yeah, as a it was Dan Hadera is one of those actors who is just always great to see turn up in anything. So um, there's a, so that was a really good um, element of the movie that helps to set the tone. Um, can I say as well that for such a small scale movie, uh, it took me a while to realise because there is a lot of focus on on the three characters, but often. When it comes to um, kind of certainly in horror film festivals and you, you're watching a lot of um, low budget movies and you notice where the limitations are. Um, and this this didn't happen at all with me in this film. It took me about halfway through the movie to go, wait a minute, we're hardly anywhere apart from inside this, this shack. And then, you know, there's a couple of scenes in the bar. Um, and then the woods and that's... There's a bit more to the, the, than that to the film, but the, 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 those are the kind of the main elements, but you don't mind at all. 
because the, it, you don't want to go anywhere else because the people you care about are in those locations. And, uh, you know, the, the heart of the movie is in those locations. And, um, uh, yeah, it's, um, that, that works very well. Um, so um, I, I keep feeling like I'm on the edge of saying the, 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 what I feel truly about the movie, which I'm not allowed to do. But um, what I would say is that um, I don't think we've given away too much about the story. Um, and for anybody who listens to this interview, I would say that the way the story develops, the way these different characters and, and different storylines kind of intertwine and, and build up to the ending is, is very interesting and, and worth seeing. And um, I think the Grimfest audience who are a very affectionate, or discerning, but very affectionate audience, um, they will lap it up, I think. Um, I think you're gonna do well here. And um, uh, I said this last year as well, um, um, even because last year was an entirely virtual festival. So I was saying to many filmmakers, what a shame you can't come to the festival. Of course, it, it's not an entirely virtual festival this year. It is a hybrid festival. There will be a live element. At the same time, there are going to be lots of people like myself who, for reasons of, of COVID shielding and things like that, aren't able to attend the live festival. And, um, and what a shame that will be to not be able to attend it, because even though the movie is great, I'd love to see it with an audience and to feel that kind of reaction as well as, as just watching it um, on my own, um, which is fantastic too. Have you got a sense of how audiences have been reacting? Uh, yeah, well, I'll, I'll speak to FrightFest first of all, and then, and then maybe Mike can speak to, and Mike in August maybe can speak to CineQuest, but at FrightFest, uh, a friend of mine was there, a documentary filmmaker, uh, and so he, he was able to say, uh, you know, the audience was uh, terribly moved by the film. There was a great silence after the end of the movie. And when the audience was coming out, many, many people were sobbing. And indeed, some of the journalists who have uh, interviewed us talked about the experience of, uh, of seeing it with the audience and the powerful uh, effect that it had on people in the room, which uh, was enormously gratifying because, uh, you know, we wanted to make an emotional horror film. Uh, so the fact that people responded to the story and were drawn into the, the tragedy and cared about the character so deeply and were surprised by some of the things that happened uh, was extremely uh, moving. Uh, so that plus the, the reviews that we've been receiving have been enormously gratifying. And CineQuest was virtual, but we were able to get a, a sense of how audiences responded from that as well. Yeah, yeah, I will say, so we premiered at CineQuest and we we won the audience award at CineQuest, which we were very grateful for. Um, on the sort of the producing side, it has been a bit disappointing to not be able to travel to all these festivals and to share the film with audiences in person um, because of exactly what Jeremiah said. The response uh, from people, audiences seeing the film so far have been fantastic. Uh, journalists have, have told us, you know, this was the first horror film. And I say horror film because that's, you know, the, the genre of the festival, but first horror thriller that they've seen in a long time that they left the theater in tears. And so it just, it seems, you know, it seems like audiences are responding very well. Um, and with this year at Grimfest, we are uh, happy to announce that at least August and Mirabelle 
Um, obviously, August is, is here. And then Mirabelle plays Mariah in the film. They will be able to attend Grimfest. And then there will be, on October 8th and 10th, there will be um, Q&As after the film. So at least... I'll be there. Yeah, so at least we're shipping August and Mirabelle over there to be a, a small part of the festival. Um, and then hopefully with this film, our plan is to continue the festival circuit um, and then have more festivals here in the U.S. where more of the actors and, and crew can be a part of it. Because this really is one of those films that, that you know, I would imagine, because I haven't done it yet, but I would imagine feels really nice to, to see with a live audience and to have their reactions in person, you know, like we're talking about. Oh, that's brilliant. Um, I, I didn't know that. Um, I have to admit, but it's fantastic, August, that you'll be coming to Manchester. And Mirabelle, who's, who's not here, but who is also wonderful in the movie, uh, will be there too. And that will be a, a fascinating question and answer session. So for the listeners, that's another great reason to make sure you get along to Grimfest. Um, so that's brilliant. And um, and all the uh, the the information about the date and the showing times and things like that will be in the show notes for our podcast. Well, you've all been extremely generous with your time. Um, thank you so much. Uh, it's It's been fascinating to talk about, and I want to congratulate you on the movie, if I haven't done so enough. Um, uh, there, there are so many things that I'd like to say about it that I'm not allowed to, um, but I will just say, you know, um, Listeners, go watch this movie uh, at Grimfest. And if you can't see it at Grimfest, see it some other way. Keep an eye out on this movie. It's it's worth keeping an eye on. Um, and I'll just say uh, thank you very much to all of you for your time right now. And I'll, I'll just, um, whatever the opposite of introduce you is, introduce you. So thank <laughs> you very much, Jeremiah Kipp, writer, director. Dan, thanks for your thoughtful questions. It was a really wonderful interview. Thank you. Thank oh. you. Thank you very much, August Machiro. Thank you. <laughs> so glad to be here. Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much, Lee Baybara. Thank you. And the listeners can't see this, but Lee Bay's been joined <laughs> by her cat. So I just thought I, I, I should give the cat some mention. She just, uh, anytime I'm sitting here, she just needs to be a part of it. So. <laughs> Bless her. My dog's right there sleeping. <laughs> I, I think cats have an instinct when there's a Zoom conversation going on. They're like, I need to be there. If, uh, if Ian was here, the cat would be on his head. That frequently happens in interviews. Um, thank you very much, Mike Manning, um, star and co-producer. Thank you very much. I don't have my, my dog with me, but maybe maybe next time. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, uh, you, all of you and any associated animals will all be welcome back. And uh, whenever <laughs> your next movies will be um, well worth seeking out, if anything is to be judged based on this one. So good luck. Okay, well, we're back. Uh, Brilliant. Hope you enjoyed that interview there with Jeremiah Kipp, writer-director of Slapface, and his actors, August Machuro, Mike Manning, and Lee Bay Barrera. So Slapface is being shown twice in the live event version of Grimfest. It's on Friday the 8th of October, this Friday, probably tomorrow, if you're hearing this on first... um, 
release. And then again, it's on on Sunday the 10th of October. It's also showing in the virtual festival on the 14th, which is uh, this coming Thursday. And if you go to the Grimfest website, there'll be details there, not only of tickets to book and such, but also um, the Q&A, which Mike mentioned in the interview uh, with um, August and uh, his co-star from the movie, who are going to hopefully be at the at the event. I say hopefully only because, obviously, you never quite know with, uh, with live festivals of guests, yeah. especially when they're coming from... You know, another country. If they if they're yeah. going to be there, they, all these things are subject to change. But it's planned that um, those two actors will be there to give a Q and A. And those are the two films that we're covering today. But I do have one more interview with the Grimfest filmmaker lined up. I'm going to be hopefully speaking to uh, the co-writer and director of a movie called For Roger. Uh, the director's name is Aaron Bartuska and that movie is in the festival uh, in the live festival this weekend but it will also be in the virtual festival next week Um, unfortunately we weren't able to arrange a chat ahead of the festival itself but midweek next week hopefully we'll drop a kind of little uh, mini episode with just my chat with Aaron to, to kind of promote that movie which is an interesting take on the slasher film um, Excellent. so that's Grimfest um, and that's our little contribution to, to promoting <laughs> Grimfest um, everybody listening please consider going along either in person or in virtual form and yep. supporting this wonderful festival and uh, the marvellous new filmmakers that it, it is itself supporting um, I wish I could be there but uh, I'm not this time maybe next, next year. year next yes. year yes absolutely so Stella as we approach the end of the episode what have you mm. got on your mind in terms of recommendations well I've been watching um, Mike Flanagan's new series Midnight Mass oh on yes Netflix uh, yes I've not oh, seen it oh it's good Oh, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. <laughs> oh, right, so it's much, much, it's so good. much better than Bly Manor, then. Oh, God, Bly Manor made me want to throw myself out the window. But <laughs> Midnight Mass, honestly, I, I've just... Uh, last night I got to the end of episode six, and um, I, obviously I'm not going to spoil it, but I did not think that it would end up there by the end of episode six. It's going on a weird and wonderful path, Um uh, so yeah, Mike Flanagan did do um, Haunting of Hill House, which I loved. Then Bly Manor came last year, which I was not so enamoured with. I thought I was, but it turns out I wasn't. Yeah. Anyway, so Midnight Mass. Um, I wasn't. I wasn't going to bother with it actually, and then and then a friend said, and I honestly, 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 stick it on. So I did, and it's really beautifully made. Lots of the characters deliver their. Well, sort of the narrative is delivered by lots of monologues. Okay. So there's there is characters, you know, having having conversations, but for for the most part, it's lots of monologues, and it, I don't want that to sound like it's might be in any way tedious because it's not. It's really beautifully written, and with all Flanagan stuff, it's beautifully shot. Um, and yeah, it's just it's at the end of the episode last night, just it got wild, and I was like, what? What? As if we've got here. So I'm really really loving it, and I can't wait for probably uh, Saturday now when I uh, try and finish finish it all. But right. yeah, it's on Netflix check it out so good 
<laughs> so you, you sound very confident of that, Stella. It's not like yes. the Blind Runner situation the where you kind of pre-recommend it before you've actually yeah. watched it. I have actually watched it. <laughs> I, I was kind of amazed that they've made a whole new series. It only feels like a few months since Blind Manor came out. Yeah, fast. Um, and people are kind of calling this the third in the in the series, or it's not the a series mm. officially, like a trilogy, is, but, I, I guess. Uh, yeah. yeah, but um, though I did just see on um, on on the old social media there that Flanagan is in sort of in project or they're going to do the project so they're going to adapt some Edgar Allan Poe oh. stories for, for Netflix as well um, I think don't think they were saying right now what, what they're going to be but the article was just you know amusing that it's probably going to be um, well the series are going to be called The Fall of the House of Usher so I assume right. that's going to be in there and then you know the article is amusing on you know the big Poe stories that that might appear, so that'll be good. That's uh-huh. something else to look forward to from Flanagan, as long as he doesn't have that annoying child in it. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think he seems to be a creator of of a very reliable horror that we can yeah um, we can always look forward to um, his output. Even though I think I mean I haven't seen Blind Manor, so I, I can't really comment on it at all, but. He wasn't as involved in that as he was with some of the other projects, was mm. he? So um, mm. it's maybe he's he's getting too busy. Uh, he's a victim of his own success. Although, um, it, do you know if he writes and directs most of Midnight Mass, or, or is it other directors and writers? Yeah, Midnight Mass is entirely his uh, his baby. Right. He's he's written written the thing. It's his story. Um, some of the actors in it are from Hill House. You recognise a couple of them. Right. Um, so that's you know that's nice. So I feel like that's a bit of a uh, sort of American horror story thing when they when they keep keep some of the cast and can move them forward. So yeah. I think it's quite nice when you see see the actors that you like. But yeah, yeah at the moment, as I said, at the end of episode six, and it yeah it, it got wild and. I thoroughly loved it. Right. And my husband has been noticing that while I've been watching it, I've been on the sofa under a blanket and it's made me jump a few times. So it's good. Oh, super. Good. Super. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you know, and, and I'm raised Catholic um, and I, I've spent my uh, a large period of my life going to midnight masses. Mm. So um, it, it immediately kind of got my attention. And yeah. ma- maybe that's why Blind Manor was a bit off then maybe he was putting all his efforts into working on midnight mass maybe um so yeah. all right okay that's great um okay so my recommendation which is not at all just grabbed out the, the midair obviously it is um <laughs> uh well well before i say that though i'd, I'd like to ask you style because i know you're a marvel cinematic universe fan have mm. you been watching my recommendation from the last episode which was what if no. <laughs> oh, right, okay. Because, um, uh, yeah, I recommended uh, What If on the grounds that one episode has zombies in it, so it's kind of Aww, almost hard. Right. Um, I'm writing it down. The, the last episode uh, dropped on Disney Plus today, um, but I haven't watched it yet. But, you know, you've got things in it like, um, as soon as the first episode appeared and it has, What If Captain America was actually Captain Carter? And Peggy Carter right. got the super serum. I was like, "Yep, I'll have that." <laughs> yeah, that's true. And uh, oh, we've only just started watching Loki, so it's going to take us a while to get to that. <laughs> oh right, well, because <laughs> Ema wants to watch um, was it Wonder Vision as well first? So yeah, you know, I will uh, 
put it on the list. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Uh, I haven't watched any of the other um, TV series. I, 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 apart from What If, I'm firmly movies only. But right. um, but yeah, I, I thought I can deal with this because it's you know just a different story every week. Yeah. But there is a bit of an ongoing thread as well, which is quite interesting. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's that's my recommendation. The other recommendation, which is also Disney Plus, is a bit random. But I've recently found myself watching a lot of The Fly, David Cronenberg's The Fly. Mm. I say watching a lot of it because I've not actually watched the whole film for many years and it did not have time. But um, in the situation that I've been in with my mum, you know, I've not really had time to sit down and watch a film. And, yeah. it, and, and even so, I've not always been in the mood for horror. Um, I've, I've watched a lot of bits of sitcoms here and there in fact ah this is almost a horror recommendation i have watched a lot of the simpsons halloween specials which are also on oh, disney I love plus those. it's so so easy to watch um they were always my favorite <laughs> episodes of the simpsons yeah and i think you know how there's the idea that um the simpsons gets really bad after about the eighth season i yeah to be honest i haven't seen any of those episodes because i think i stopped watching it when it stopped being on the bbc in, right. in the kind of early 2000s um, but I think what I might do is I might just watch the Halloween specials watch every single one of them right up to date because I just love that that, that little anthology format that they've got they're so cool aren't they, it's, they're really sweet um, was, it, was it last Halloween or the Halloween before, I can't remember where um, me and my daughter we spent a good portion of the day just watching Simpsons ha- ha- Treehouse of Horrors right. just as a Halloween activity so I know what we'll do We'll just watch loads of these. <laughs> and yeah. it was that good? Yeah, oh, that sounds fantastic. No, um, they're wonderful. And, uh, yeah, I think before I get rid of Disney+, Plus, I shall watch the rest of them. Cause yeah. It's just so delightful. But, yeah, The Fly happened to be there, which is a weird movie to uh, stumble across on Disney+, Plus, even though it's in the grown-up bit. Yeah. Um, and I found myself just watching bits of it again because I do. It, it is a film that I love very much. I think it's really well mm. written and very moving. It's possibly the most moving horror film ever. It's also gruesome as hell, and I just find oh, it God, yeah. re- <laughs> really difficult to watch in a good yeah. way. Um, and a couple of weeks ago, because I've been watching bits of it, it was really on my mind, and and I got strangely obsessed with it, possibly because. Uh, with illness being around and all that you're thinking lots about mortality and the whole mm-hmm. mo- movie of the fly is basically a, a metaphor for like aging or cancer or something mm. isn't it what if your loved one became really ill and mm-hmm. uh, I, I find it subconsciously very very disturbing but I think it's such a great movie and I still find it weird to think that it even exists because if ever, yeah. anybody's <laughs> not watched it I think it's so savage what happens mm-hmm. in that movie and it's such a weird not quite uh, well it's not it, it it breaks the rules of many horror films uh, like with mm. a, i'm not going to say exactly how because i don't want to spoil it for anyone who's not seen it but you know if you consider the number of people killed in it for instance and just the number of people in it it's like yeah i can't say that it's a really the main cast of it is like three people mm. um and, yeah. and and the main emotion of it is sadness, really. But it's sadness that is achieved through unbelievable, gruesome <laughs> horror. 
Um, yeah, don't w- watch it while you're having your tea. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's, that's the good, advice. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not an easy fun watch, but I just think no. yeah, it's uh, it's definitely one of my favourites. And um, yeah, I've not seen it for ages either, ages and ages. But it's on Disney Plus, you say? Yes, in the star oh. section. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I found myself watching a lot of stuff about the making of it and just realising right. how massively tedious it must be. <laughs> well not tedious because they actually everybody involved in the in the behind the scenes footage looks like they're probably enjoying themselves but it's like you know because it's heavily based on special effects makeup and obviously this is mm. the completely your wheelhouse Stella you know so mm. um there's a well there's one of the scenes towards the end of the movie which is fairly simple it's about two seconds. Well, no, it's it's probably about thirty seconds on screen. But Gina Davis says that it, it took them two weeks to film. Yeah, and it's basically just her interacting with makeup stuff. There's there, there weren't even any other actors there because they were not like needed in the specific shot. Yeah, um, and you just think also well, they all got two weeks off and she's in. Yeah, <laughs> doing so, this over and over again. Yeah, but yeah. it's you know practical effects so time consuming. Yeah. fiddly and it's kind of you know if 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 you want to make horror particularly for television with the short shooting schedules you that's why they're leaning into cgi because it's just if you want to get it done it's just a way to do it yeah that makes sense and um yeah there's in some of the making of there's um footage of some of the gore effects from the movie that they didn't include mm. and right. it's clear <laughs> that they didn't include them because they don't quite work because right. There's only, you know, they they do an incredible job in the movie of creating an animatronic fly creature that mm. seems like a living creature, but at the same time, there are a number of things that it was supposed to do in the script, and you see yeah. the version of that that they shot, and it's like that's clearly not really a living thing doing that. It looks a bit rubbish, so they just <laughs> went, no, we'll lose that. It's fine, <laughs> and you know, <laughs> cut. That, <laughs> uh, and that's probably the the deal, isn't it? Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, don't show it if it's not up, up to standards that you want, I suppose. Yeah, and yeah. And, and it's one of an example of a movie where the greatness of it was achieved because of the stuff that they didn't leave in for whatever mm. reason. The stuff there's quite a lot of scenes that they shot or or, or wrote um, that they just left out and. Um, the film is stronger because of that mm. and it's a really yeah. interesting case study it's one of those uh, a rare movie these days which is um, well I say these days obviously it's 30 years old but you know these oh, days it's rare for a movie to be 90 minutes long and to just yeah. do that um, The Fly is a very satisfying uh, narrative that told in that short space of time I think the last time I saw a movie that is that short that really worked was um uh what's it called hide is it called it's not called hide and seek is it i've talked <laughs> about it on this podcast before it's you know the movie a couple of years ago i'm sure it's not called hide and seek but it's like it should be <laughs> it's a it's the movie where the woman's just married into a rich family of of people who design games and they, she has to go through a ritual, which apparently everybody does um, when they marry into the family, which is they play a game and it's hide and seek. But the movie isn't called hide and seek. It's <laughs> called 
<laughs> something like you go first or something like that. Uh, I anyway, uh, listen. I know, don't know. I've mentioned it on this podcast before. It's really good, and it's by the guys who are directing the new Scream film. Oh right, um, all right. Um, but <laughs> uh, yeah, so right. So having just there we go. advertised <laughs> my own level of dementia, um, I think that that's. Uh, well, we are in our forties now, Dan. Oh God, and it's been yeah. Sorry, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yes, to make clear to the listener, this has happened to both of us since the last series ended. Yes, and I don't know about you, Stella, but I've just—it's been a bit rubbish, to be honest. I've, <laughs> I've just, for various reasons, I've, I've been ill, or someone else yeah. has been ill, and it's just—it's about three months now, I think, since I turned forty, and it's—it's it's all been a bit bleh. How have, yeah. you, how have you felt? Um, well, I, I did manage to have a 40th birthday party, mm. and that was really good. But it was interesting in like the days running up to it, where I, I mean, I'm quite a shy person, really, despite the appearing like a gobshite on here. Um, so you know, the idea of an event with me at its centre was making me a bit anxious, anyway. Mm. But um, I think that got mixed in with a bit of covid anxiety because i was saying to everyone you know before you come please do a lateral flow test um don't hug people if they don't want to be hugged you know mm-hmm. etc so i think that anxiety kind of pushed the oh i don't want to be center of attention anxiety out out the door a little bit but it all turned out to be fine the party wasn't the source of a mini outbreak of covid right. um, everyone was perfectly safe um and everybody had a really good time and we'd not been together with that many friends you know since the start of all of this and um, everyone had clouting hangovers the next day. Everyone had a good dance, so right. it, it was it was it was really nice and it felt really refreshing to just remember all of that kind of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And then yeah, like two days later, I was just back to work. <laughs> but yeah, it was it was a really I would say unless something spectacular happens between now and uh, December the thirty first, that's going to have been the highlight of the year. Right. Was getting to have a wow. party. I'm glad that that went really well. It was at the Klondike yeah. Club in Levenshire. It was, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've been there. That's a nice place. So were you outside because they've got a nice garden? Well, it was pissing down, obviously. Right. Um, so, But they do um, have lots of like gazebo things set up outside, so, you know, just so the regulars can go outside. Um, so we, we had the main room. Um, the main room's got a couple of fire doors in it so we could open all the doors so there was a through draft and people were hanging out outside and hanging out inside so it never felt full and I, I invited about maybe about 40 people and you've seen the size of the place so you know spread those people around the place no you know we weren't on top of each other and we've got everyone to do lateral flow tests so to make sure it was as safe as we can but yeah it was really good and lots of people everyone who came were all like were grateful that we'd me and Owen had organized it and put it on and to make it happen because everyone was just like I needed that <laughs> I needed <laughs> to do that <laughs> I needed to see people and dance around and but what was really weird about it was um, when people were arriving you could see people arriving and you could see them not knowing what to do like forgotten how to cope in this situation and in the question of oh right so what have you been up to lately everyone was like nothing <laughs> um, right. got nothing to tell you about you know because normally you'd talk about if you'd been out or you've been to festivals or you've done this or you'd be like oh i saw so and so the other day so there's none of that so you could see people arriving and going okay what do i do do i right i get a drink I'll, I'll go to the bar and get a drink and people settled after about 10 minutes but you could see people just forgotten what to do and nobody had anything 
to say because <laughs> no one had done anything. It was like, well, the next time you do go and see people, you'll be able to talk about how you did this. So this will be something <laughs> to talk about the next time that you go and socialise. So yeah, it was it was really really fun, and it was like I said, a much needed um, moment of of normality. Yeah. Oh no, it yeah. sounds fantastic, and I'm yeah. glad that it did. And I, I love the kind of positive spin that you've put on it of like. This will be the story you can tell to people <laughs> next time you go out. So, um, my birthday was at the end of June, and it was going to be uh, just after they opened up, but then they extended mm. the lockdown, didn't they, for two weeks? <laughs> was it like two weeks? <laughs> or, or, or maybe a month. Maybe it was a month, I can't remember. But anyway, um, so my birthday party ended up being outside in uh, like Upper Mill Park. Um, oh yeah so we and we had a picnic <laughs> and my <Rock> sister and roll. <laughs> my sister ruth uh, organized it for me and it was lovely we all just kind of sat there it didn't really rain you know i live in oldham it's always slightly raining but i, I don't yeah, think it the really air's rained. just wet <laughs> yeah um and it was it was it was nice enough yeah and uh but people just turned up and we just in a public place it was like hello have a sandwich <laughs> and um <laughs> Yeah, you know, <laughs> memorable, but, you know, that's, yeah. that's the main thing. Okay, so, yeah. well, I think we come to the end right of then. this week's episode, Stella. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know what, this time next week, uh, well, what this time probably when, when the uh, the listener hears this, not only will it be, it be the virtual uh, version of Grimfest, but it will also be the release date of Halloween Kills. I'm so excited! So, that trailer looks amazing. I've I, I've gone out of my way not to watch the trailer. I watched the teaser that they released about a year ago, but um, but uh, yeah. So because Halloween Kills comes out next week, our episode next week is going to be our long-awaited recorded in 2018 hey. review of Halloween 2018. Um, so that's going to be the main feature next week. It's only, it's um, only three years. Don't worry. About yeah. It. Yeah. Um, Anyone who wants to hear it right now, you can go to our Patreon page. It's it's there already. But um, if you've got the patience to wait another week, you'll hear me and Howard and Spider Dan and Ian in his first ever recording for this podcast. First recorded, latest years ago. produced. Um, just discussing the 2018 film. And who knows, maybe we'll be able to get us back together to talk about the new one. Um, but yeah, so it seemed, seemed uh, appropriate to... to well, it's the last chance, really. Um, <laughs> yeah. You've uh, gone to the wire on that one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You've got to give me a long deadline. I think that's what okay. we're learning. Um, Noted. <laughs> but hopefully, because we've got the, the the kind of bonus episode with the interview with Aaron Bartoska next week, hopefully as well, then we might be doing two episodes next week. Um, so maybe that will make up with the fact that we didn't put out an episode last week that's what i'm telling myself <laughs> guys it's life's a bit random at the moment we're just doing episodes yeah. when, when we can um and you know we'll we'll keep doing that but uh and yeah you know what i don't even know when i'm going to get to see halloween kills have you got have you got no uh, me neither yeah i don't know honestly don't know um yeah, I don't know. I'll figure it out. I'll see. I mean, because cause I'm working, you know, I'm back teaching, so I can't even, like, creep out for trying to get an early morning show because I'm teaching every day at nine. Mm. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'll, I'll see if I can figure it out. But, 
the chances are, I mean, let's be honest, I'll probably get it on DVD. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. Um, but well, ah well. I'm I'm lucky like that. At least I do have that cinema in Oldham that's within walking yeah. distance, and and I, I quite like showing up and seeing horror films almost on my own. Mm. Ready or not, the movie's called Ready Yay! or Not, Stella. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I, it came together because <laughs> I saw that on my own at Oldham. Uh, there we go. <laughs> Blind, right. But yes. So there we go. The listener knows everything. <laughs> yes. Yes. On that note, then, um, I think we'll, we'll wrap up for this week. Um, but uh, plenty coming where this came from. Thank you, listener. Just watch out on our feed, and our, our episodes will pr- be produced next time you hear us speaking. Hopefully, it w- it'll be me and Stella, and maybe a third person, uh, mm. may- maybe Kirsty. Who knows? We'll see how she is. Um, but Stella, thank you so much for joining me for this. It's been such a pleasure. Thanks, Dan. It's nice to be doing this again, actually, isn't it? Oh, good. Yes, yeah, so. like a regular thing. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, let's uh, hey, let's hope we can keep Bring up the back. momentum. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll uh, yeah. Hopefully, we'll see. All right. Well, thank you, Stella. Thank you, listeners, and uh, you'll hear from us again soon. Bye bye. You have been listening to, and now the podcast starts. Produced and released by Ambidextrous Solutions Limited. Presented by Stella Gaynor and T.D. Velasquez. With special guests, Andres Beltran, Jeremiah Kipp, August Maturo, Mike Manning, and Libe Barrer. Special thanks to Greg Hume for our original theme music and to Brian Gorman for our original artwork. All dialogue and music clips from films, TV shows, and trailers are used for the purposes of criticism in the spirit of fair dealing as defined in UK law and fair use as defined in US law. No copyright infringement is intended. Please visit our home on the web, www.andnowpodcast.com for more content and contact details. Or visit our Facebook pages at andnowpod or at Lee Cushing Pod. Follow us on Twitter at And Now Podcast or at Lee Cushing Podcast. If you'd like to donate to us, please visit patreon.com forward slash And Now Podcast. And now the podcast stops. <laughs>